With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast of Matt Lark. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast. We are live. It's Matt Larkin here to answer your fantasy conundrums, and we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. I assume you guys are close to your trade deadlines. I know I am in my league. I hope you guys are doing well. I am, I'm, I'm on the brink right now. This week, I faced a shutout on Monday night and Tuesday night. My opponent has two shutouts already. I'm really upset. It's going to ruin my season. This team is not even a contender. This guy's trying to sell, and he just picked up two goalies. They got shutouts on me. I'm pretty upset right now. So hopefully I can channel that energy into helping you guys. We're going to start with some pickups. Shallow league pickups first. Pickup of the week, Matt Zuccarello, available in 55% of leagues. Uh, and as of yesterday, I saw a really good stat. He's fourth in league scoring since he returned to the Wilds lineup. And he's making just tremendous magic on that first line with Kirill Kaprizov fantastic rookie in Victor Rask who's been resurgent and you know you could wonder is a regression coming for Zuccarello is he playing over his head yes he is probably but he has been capable of prolonged hot streaks before a few years it was two three years ago I remember he had a stretch of it was 20 to 25 games where he was averaging almost a point per game and he got traded to Dallas Stars so we know he can do it and in a short season all bets are off sometimes hot streaks can just last because the sample size is going to be small this year so it's it's different this year it's okay to try and ride a hot player uh, and not always sell high and even if you look at the puck luck for Zuccarello it's not like he's a big shooter he's getting a lot of his points via assists so it's not you know it's not like someone like let's say Dustin Brown who's off to a really good start but has an unsustainably high shooting percentage so it's not really what's going on with Zuccarello so it's possible he sustains this or at least something close to it Definitely pick him up. He should be owned in many more leagues. Let's do medium leagues now. Devon Taves or Devin. I call him Devin. Some people call him Devon. I still don't know. I have to meet him someday and ask him to know how to pronounce his name properly. Uh, he's available in 46% of leagues. And some people might be hesitant to pick him up. You're thinking, well, Kale McCarr in Colorado is on the way back. But I don't think they really cancel each other out. If you remember at the start of the season, Taves and McCarr were playing together because Taves is a left-handed shot. McCarr is a righty. So I think they can still coexist. And the role for Taves is really significant in Colorado right now in his last 10 games, averaging 26-34 of ice time per night. So you know that the reps are going to be there, the chance to get a lot of shots. He's getting some power play time. He's got eight points in his past nine games. So he's someone who should be owned in many more leagues as well. Now, if you look at a deep league pickup, this is very specific to leagues that don't count plus minus because, you know, the same goes for Sabres players, but Detroit players are kind of toxic if your league counts plus minus. If your league doesn't count plus minus, or if your team is just really strong, has a great surplus in plus minus, I would look at Philip Peronic in Detroit, available in 78% of leagues. He is really all the Red Wings have back there in terms of an offensive threat right now. Eventually, we're going to see more guys coming up in their system. But he's got eight points in his past four games. Yes, that hot streak's not going to continue, but the role is not going anywhere. 
Detroit really needs him. He gets lots of ice time. He gets lots of power play time. He's one of the only viable fantasy players you can get on the wings right now. If your league doesn't count plus minus, I think there's still going to be kind of a stink on our wings players. So that's probably why he's available, even though he's producing like a pretty top-tier fantasy defenseman right now. So go get Philip Ronick. Now the WTF pickup of the week. It's Thatcher Demko. He's available in 24% of leagues. What is going on? He right now is performing as roughly a top five fantasy goaltender, 938 save percentage in the past month. He started six straight games, and right now a goalie with that kind of volume is just absolute gold because we just the goalie landscape is just such a minefield right now with so many goalies splitting time because the condensed schedule, you have so many back-to-backs. And if you have a goalie who's playing 50% of the time, it's almost like, well, that's good. So when you have Demko starting six games in a row, it's unheard of in the modern era. That makes him even more valuable. Plus, he's playing very well. Plus, we know based on his pedigree that this is not really a flip. We saw him do it last year in the playoffs. The Canucks are grooming him to be their long-term starter. And they bring in Braden Holtby on a two-year deal, probably as expansion draft bait. So you know Demko... He's there to start. That's going to be his long-term role. So I don't see him as a fluke at all. He should be owned in every single league. I think if you call him a top five or 10 goalie for the rest of the season, I'm not going to argue with you. Now, a little tip of the week. It's funny. Am I going to run out of tips? Hopefully not, but I haven't run out yet. This tip is just, it sounds simple, but it's really not. I call it know your scoring system. And it's something that way too many people take for granted. You think, well, yeah, I'm in a league where... The leading scorer in the league is the best player. It's not always true. If you're in a league, for example, that counts as many goalie stat categories as skater stat categories, then Andre Vasilevsky, not Connor McDavid, is the most valuable player in that pool. If you're in a league that counts hits and shots, then Brady Kachuk is arguably a top 10 player. He's first in the league in both of those categories. So it's really important to examine your league stat categories because if you have a, a league that has a mixture of really diehard GMs and casual GMs, the casual GMs are probably going to base their player valuations on just real-life knowledge. So a good example would be someone like Quinn Hughes, really good hockey player, really good scorer, just a tremendous offensive talent. In fantasy leagues, if you count hits and blocks, some of some of Hughes' numbers are a little bit hollow. So that's someone who would be more valuable in real life or in a standard fantasy league, but if you have a different league configuration, then he's not worth as much. So you'd be better off getting someone that fills the stat sheet, let's say like a Darnell Nurse. In real life, no one's going to say Darnell Nurse is a better player than Quinn Hughes, but if you're in a league format that counts shots, hits, blocks, Darnell Nurse might be the most valuable defenseman in the entire format. So it's really important to pay attention to that. I don't think enough people do, and that's why sometimes you're wondering, why is my team not doing well? It's because you're neglecting certain stat categories. So pay attention, review your league scoring settings. So producer Stephen Ellis, I think we are ready for some questions i'm going to take a giant gulp of water and let's get it on yeah so first off this is very fun thank you everyone for following along in this live stream today it's been a while since we've done a fantasy hockey live stream but it's fun to to talk fantasy hockey especially right now considering i've won i think three weeks in a row it's my longest streak i've had this season i'm yeah. finally i'm finally in it but i'm actually right now losing to an inactive gm which is embarrassing because he hasn't changed his lineup in a few weeks so anyways our very first question today comes from michelle wilson who asks looking five years down the line who are you liking more kale mccarr or quinn hughes hi michelle it's a good question it's it's something that people just love it's i think it's going to follow these two for their entire careers because you know, statistically, they were the two best rookie defensemen since Brian Leach last year. And they're just, their fates will forever be linked. It's almost like the Crosby Ovechkin thing. It's the Matthews line A. For whatever reason, people just want to talk about McCarr and Hughes in the same breath. 
And, you know, their skills, what they bring to the game are very similar. Last year, they were both kind of similarly sheltered in terms of their minutes. They're given really a lot of offensive zone starts. They're both just truly dynamic, creative power play guys, tremendous puck movers. Uh, but if you look at fantasy value, they're going to be close, but I lean Kale McCarr over the long term, or, or five years, I think, is your question. Because, as I just mentioned in uh, the previous segment, Quinn Hughes doesn't do as many things, and most hockey pools, their configurations now are, are including things like hits, blocks, and shots. So if you factor that in, uh, you're going to get more goodies, more statistical goodies from, from Kale McCarr. And just the team setup in Colorado, you've got Nathan McKinnon's prime, you've got Miko Rantanen's prime, you've got a good amount of cap space, you've got more prospects coming, whether it's Alex Newhook or you know, Bowen Byron's going to stick. You have just more talent coming into that roster. They're going to be able to sign or acquire more good players. So Colorado is just going to be such a bountiful fantasy landscape for years to come. McCarr is going to be a big part of that. So I think McCarr's peak is going to be maybe even bigger than Quinn Hughes. So it's close. If you lean Hughes, I don't blame you. I actually voted Hughes first place for the, the Calder last year above McCarr, just based on his contributions to his team. But fantasy long-term, I'm going to lean McCarr. All right, Ian. The numbers did kind of suggest that it, Hughes had a very strong case for the Calder Trophy last year. But again, we're talking about two of the best prospect defensemen we've seen in such a long election well, not prospects now but two of the best young defensemen we've seen in a very long time so it was pretty exciting we got to see them go head to head that was a call the trophy battle we will not soon forget our next question comes from lucas sebastian who asks do you think jack eichel's value has dropped this season outside of the injury and obviously buffalo they've uh, got a new coach now and everything but uh, that is a uh, an interesting question i'd have to say Yes, I do think his value has dropped. That's why I traded him. I traded him a couple weeks ago. Oh, okay. I, I, oh man, I don't like the idea of trading him right now. I don't. I did trade. It was a keeper league, and and I, I do believe, I truly believe, no matter what Sabres ownership says, that Jack Eichel will play for a new team next year, and that's why I was able to trade him in my league. I said, listen, Jack Eichel is going to be a top ten player next year. He's going to probably play for a new team. I truly do believe both of those things. So long term, he's going to be fine. But this year, uh, I just think that the Sabres environment is absolutely absolutely toxic, and like you said. Um, it's not just the injury. If you look at his advanced metrics, Jack Eichel has career lows in every single category, whether it's shot generation, chance generation, high danger attempts, everything you can think of, Jack Eichel is producing at the career worst rate before that injury. So maybe it was an injury that was already there that just got, it got to the point where it got really aggravated and that's why he's out. Maybe that's why he wasn't producing, but just whatever's happening in Buffalo, it's clearly toxic and he's not the same player. If he comes back, Maybe with a new coach, sure, there could be a little bit of a of a motiv motivating factor there, but I, I, I'm not overly optimistic. I don't think we're going to get the real Jack Eichel back until next year. All right, so we've been getting some questions, but we will save them for a little later. We have some questions to get to first, but thank you to everyone sending in live questions right now. The next question is from Danny Rodininov, who asks, is now the time to reinvest in Ilya Samsonov? And I know I got rid of him, but I know that was a mistake. But again, it's not a keeper league, so I could bring him back if I needed to. Okay, yes, and I'm, I'm a Samsonov owner in my main league, so I think about this all the time. Before I answer this question, I wanted to add one more thing that I forgot to say about Jack Eichel. Just a reminder that he's 24, so if you're in a keeper league, you should definitely buy low on Jack Eichel. He's never going to cost less than he does right now, so go for it. Go get him. Um, Ilya Samsonov. So is it time to reinvest in him? In keeper leagues, absolutely. He, in terms of general pedigree and hype, he's probably in the top three or five most hyped goaltending prospects of the past 10 years. Uh, and I, I know we've had him scouted just for our magazine by, by Tom Thompson. Uh, and the, the the reviews for Ilya Samsonov are absolutely glowing. 
Um, just a big, powerful, athletic goaltender. He's got all the makings of a true franchise goalie that's going to be the man for years to come for the Capitals. Right now, is it time to reinvest? I say yes, but modestly. So we know he seems to be recovered from COVID now in his last five starts. He's 5-0, and 2.22 goals against average, 9.921 save percentage. So we're seeing the Samsonov we expected to see going into the season. But uh, the Capitals appear to be really splitting time between him and Vitek Vanacek. Um, and this is something that dates back to last year. At AHL Hershey, they had a system in which both goalies played no matter what. It was like a 50-50 split, and they alternated. It didn't matter how the other guy was playing. They just alternated, alternated, alternated. And so far, we're seeing the same system in Washington. We saw them play back-to-back. Even though Vanacek gets a shutout, doesn't matter. Samsonov plays. He's guaranteed to start. The next game, it appears it's going to probably be Vanacek again. It is telling, though, that if you look at the back-to-back, Vanacek was handed the easy game against Buffalo. He gets a shutout. Uh, and the one who got the crucial divisional matchup against the Islanders was Samsonov. I do read into that as the fact that as Samsonov having a slight edge. And it's a situation where, you know, he is their guy long-term. So the Capitals, they want him to win the job. They want to see him overtake Vanacek. So they're looking for probably any excuse to do that because ideally going into the playoffs, you're going to want to lean on one guy. So, I do think as we get closer to the playoffs, the 50-50 split could become maybe 60-40 for Samsonov. Probably not more than that because they're easing him back into the role, but I think he's a better bet even for this season than Vanacek. Just don't go overboard. I think go ahead and go overboard if it's a keeper league and you're playing for the future, but the actual number of starts he's going to get between now and the end of the season, it's not going to be astronomical. I think he's going to play well, but just don't overpay, but go ahead and invest. Yeah, and I think it's also like we've seen this year, and we we didn't, weren't totally sure how the goaltending situation was going to look league wide this year because, of course, you had all these teams that um, it was a shorter schedule. How are they going to manage the goalie loads? And but a lot of times for a lot of these teams right now, it's very condensed because of cancellations and everything, having to move things around. So uh, it's been interesting to kind of see which teams have taken uh, different goaltending approaches. Like with Minnesota, Kapokakinen goes on this incredible run of eight wins in a row, and then they sit him out to put Cam Talbot in for a few games before putting Kakinen in, who then goes out and wins the next game. So it's interesting seeing how these teams are tackling the goal league situation because I don't think anyone was really sure how this was going to work. I think it's still different than the lockout year, which did have fewer games, but it's back then back in the last lockout when it was shortened, you would still see the goalies play almost every single game of the season. We're not seeing that this year where some teams have already used up to four or five goalies. So our next question comes from Nicholas Sampson, who actually did ask a question before. And they asked, okay, I asked about carry price last week on the show and I decided to keep him. Now he's good again, but do you think he's worth keeping around and can help Montreal make the playoffs? He also mentioned that they keep the same roster in the regular season that they do during the playoffs. It's funny, so much has changed even a week ago, right? And we featured prices, you know, one of the subjects of the main blog we posted for the, pod, the, the podcast two weeks ago was, you know, is it time to give up on Carey Price? But a lot has changed because uh, goaltending coach Stefan Waite is gone and Sean Burke comes in and Sean Burke has forever been known as this goalie whisperer who has engineered these remarkable career turnarounds for guys like Devin Dominic and Mike Smith. But if you look at the peoples that Burke has done that for, he's never had someone like Carey Price. He's never had a future Hall of Famer like Carey Price in terms of the level of talent he gets to mold. It's it's And, you know, Ilya Bisbalov as well, but Price, it's, it's another league. So it kind of makes sense to see instant results, and Price has had five games since Sean Burke took over, and he's got a 948 save percentage. 
in that time. And the way I, I view this season is like Stephen was saying, the goaltending landscape is so strange. It's so hard to find a true bell cow goalie who's going to play even two thirds of his, of his team's games right now. So if you see any bit of momentum or hot streak, whether it's Capo Cochran and what he's doing or what's happening with Price and the signs of a turnaround, I think you pounce. So to me, Carey Price, the fact that he's playing better since Burke took over, I think it's fine to say, yeah, sure, maybe he's a top five fantasy goalie the rest of the season. It's so hard to find a reliable goaltender right now that I think you look for any little sign of momentum and I think you can kind of play that hunch and see if it works out for the rest of the season because everyone's looking for any little edge they can get. So to me, if I have price, I'm not trading him. If I don't have price, I would like to try and go get him, but I assume the buy low window probably closed about a week ago. I did want to point out the last time we talked, uh, I, I brought up the fact that when Carey Price wears his red goalie pads, he actually has a pretty poor record over his entire career. And he switched from his red pads and he started to play well again. It, it's kind of, it's a stupid stat, but actually there are people that are trying to look into the psychology of that as to why Carey Price, when he wears red pads, which he's done, I think three times in his career, he goes on these horrible streaks. And then when he switched to white base pads, it changes. It's, it's, it's well, Carey Price. Why? It, 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 it's it's weird. It's like it sounds so really stupid on the surface, but if you do look at it, it's like Carey Price's numbers since switching to his white pads. I believe he's got a perfect record. It's, and I don't think it's coincidence. White pads, so the white blends into the ice, right? So when goalies change their pads, sometimes it's to change what the shooter is seeing. So a white pad has a better chance of blending into the ice and confusing the shooter. They think they see a hole, but they don't see a hole. They're actually shooting at pad. So I don't think it's coincidence at all, personally. Yeah, well, it's 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 something that it's quite interesting to follow. And I, I when I tweeted it on on the very first night of the season against Toronto Police, it's like people are like, "Oh, that's stupid. He's gonna be fine." And well, he played well at the beginning of the year, and then things started really kind of fall. He did switch to white pads again for a little bit, but ever since he's gone back, he's been lights out. Now it's a very goalie focused episode today. And our next question comes from Jeremy Owen, who asks: Bobrovsky has been seven zero one in his last eight games. Is he finally back? And oh, we've talked about him a few times and. Now it's looking like he's finally back. Yeah, and I understand, you know, like you said, Stephen, there's so many goalie questions, and I get it because it's just it's the the Rubik's Cube that everybody's trying to solve in fantasy pools right now because goalies are just such a mess, the, the entire landscape. So I totally understand why there are lots of goalie questions. It's the biggest headache in my own league. People are just scrambling to find any goalie who could play enough. Uh, and Sergey Bobrovsky. So I, I apologize. I, I probably told this story a lot, but I think it's really relevant every time we talk about Bobrovsky and his career trajectory. So a few years ago, when he after he'd won his first Vezina, he was kind of down in the dumps. His play really declined. He was suffering a lot of soft tissue injuries, and he was so devoted, he changed his body, right? He changed his diet. He lost about 20 pounds. He became more flexible. He told me all about this at length and, and why he did it and how he wanted to be more flexible and just have less body fat in the way as he moved around the ice and he was so dedicated and it worked he ended up going out and winning the Vezina the next season with his new improved body he wasn't getting hurt anymore so to me it, it really told the story of how devoted Sergei Bobrovsky is and when he has a down period in his career you can't count him out because he's shown before he can bounce back he's a really hard-working guy I remember at the time Jarmol Kekalainen telling me that you know you don't think of a goalie this way but especially kind of a tall, lanky goalie like Bobrovsky, but he was the, you know, the cliche first guy in the gym, last guy out of the gym, hardest working guy in the team. So to me, after Bobrovsky's poor season, first season in Florida, I expected a big rebound season because of that. I thought you'd see him rededicate himself and it didn't start that way. But the fact that he's turning around his game, to me, I don't think it's a fluke. I kind of expected this to happen uh, because, because of the fact that he worked so hard. And so when I see him getting hot, I, I kind of believe it. Um, and I, I do think, you know, 
if you're trying to trade for him or you have him in fantasy, it's a good thing because I said this before, the money talks, he's still got five years left after this at $10 million a year. So the Panthers were always going to try to give him every chance to work his way out of it. Chris Stridger is a, a pending UFA. So they need Bobrovsky to be their person because there's just no way you can move that contract when there's that much term left on, right? So he was going to get every chance to work through it. And it appears he has. Um, during that hot streak, the save percentage is 914, so he's not absolutely setting the world on fire. The team in front of him is playing really well. Shout out to especially Alexander Barkov having a, a borderline heart trophy worthy season. He's been unbelievable this year. Um, so it's not like Dabrowski's carrying the team. Um, and you could look at that two ways. You could say, well, he's not playing that well. He's playing just like pretty well. Or you could say, well, he could actually get better. So it's kind of a glass half empty, glass half full. But if you look at the totality of it, I see a two-time Vezina Trophy winner who's shown a pattern of rebounding. He's playing on a really good team. And he's not that old in goal years. Not like he's 35 years old. He's still in his early 30s. And for a goalie, that's almost like being a 27-year-old if you're a skater, right? So I, I generally would say that I'm a believer in what's happening with Bogrovsky. It doesn't mean there aren't going to be hiccups along the way. But I, I say bye. All right. So our next question, this is actually another goalie question because uh, that's what we got a lot of today. Oh, goalie. And it's funny because one of the questions we're gonna I'm gonna add to you later at the show is also another goalie question. But uh, J Rod twenty two asks, with teams playing only their division, should I consider diversifying my goalies by division, or do I just go with who's hot? A good example uh, at one point I had three goalies playing in the same division, and uh, when they kept playing each other, that meant I was always missing out on points. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I understand the, the the rationale. It's a very interesting point, especially, you know, if you have your goalies playing each other, you think, oh, well, I'm guaranteed only one win. But I look at it another way. I, I think of it, you know, glass half full. Well, you're guaranteed a win if, if your goalies are playing. It's like in baseball when your closers are facing each other. It's like, oh, you have a really good chance to get a save. So I, I think it's a bit of galaxy braining. I would not overthink it, um, especially because of the fact the goalie landscape is so weird this year. You could think, oh, I don't want my goalies in the same division. They're always going to be playing each other, but they might not be because goalies are playing. You know, most teams are almost running 50-50 splits. So you could think your goalies are going to play each other, but then one of them is going to be sitting because the team's on a back-to-back -back, and your goalies actually never end up playing each other, right? So to me, it's something I, I wouldn't overthink too much. Um, if you're really trying to, you know, break a tie and deciding on a trade or something, sure, it could be your tiebreaker if you don't want goalies in the same division, but um, it, uh, it's not something that I really overthink and I wouldn't worry about it too much. All right, the next question comes from Jay Kurchika, who asks, rest of the season, Bellos or Willie Carlson? Yeah, this is an interesting one. It, this question came in yesterday. I was thinking about it for a while. Um, I think it depends on your, your situation, right? So if you're in a real dogfight uh, for a playoff spot in your league, if you're in a head-to-head -head league or something and you need, safe production, Willie Carlson has a much higher floor. You know, you're going to get, you know, that – well, you know, he's probably going to get 11 points every 15 games, something like that. Uh, he's going to be playing in the top six for Vegas most of the time. He's usually playing with Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith, and he's safe. But if you are looking for someone who's going to put you over the top, maybe you're really behind in the standings, but you're still in striking distance of a playoff spot, you need someone to get hot. We know Anders Lee, it's, it was announced today, torn ACL out for the year, and we saw Kiefer Bellows get a look on that top line with Barzal and Eberle. And Bellows has the pedigree. He's a first-round pick son of Brian Bellows. It's not a total fluke if he starts producing on that line, which he already has, because this is sort of what he was supposed to do. That's why the, That's why I always say when you see someone who's got the first round pedigree, they start playing well. I don't always write it off as a fluke because the same as I was saying Thatcher Demko, he was a second rounder, but the same thing, high pedigree. It's like, well, yeah, this is what he was supposed to do. So it's not a fluke if the guy's doing exactly what he was 
supposed to do when he was scouting? What was Kiefer Bella supposed to be? A first-line winger who scores goals. What's he doing right now? Scoring goals as a first-line winger. So I don't think it's a big fluke. Um, at the same time, you know, he's had a bit of a rocky road developmentally. It took him a long time to find his footing in the AHL. He wasn't even really dominant there. So there's no guarantee that he's going to keep this up. The production could fall off. He could get moved eventually down the lineup. We just don't know for sure. So that's why he's still a risky player to pick up. I think you pick up Kiefer Bellows over Carlson, or I don't know if this is a trade, whatever the situation is, you choose him over Carlson. If you are truly desperate, you need a home run swing, you're trying to catch lightning in a bottle. Or if you're a powerhouse and you're like, well, my team's awesome anyways, I may as well, if I can fill out my last winger spot with a guy who might go off, sure, let's do it. I think that's a fine situation to add Kiefer Bellows as well. But if you're really on the playoff bubble in your league and you have a lot to lose, or if you're in a roto league where you're right near the top, then I, I would go with the safer high floor pick, which is William Carlson. All right. Next question is, this is this is a big one. Uh, Dreen asked, thoughts on top five teams with the best goaltending, goals against per game over the next five years. Pretty pleased. That's a, that's a big one. Yes. Okay. I think I know who this Dreen is. There, there is a mysterious customer who kind of pops up like every, once a year and asks me this really weird question. Which is like, <laughs> Tell me. This who will allow the fewest goals in the next five years? I'm like, I don't know what pool this person is playing in. I don't know if it's a pool played with aliens. It's the weirdest hockey pool I've ever heard where your league is based on which team will allow fewer goals five years from now. I don't know if I want to be in that league. It sounds really strange. Uh, but, you know, two weeks their own. Dreen or Dream, whatever you call yourself. So I'll try to answer the question as best I can. So looking ahead, okay, I'm looking at which team is a really sturdy goaltending situation locked up long-term, which team is already defensively sound and has a lot of good players locked up in long-term deals and plays a good, you know, defensively sound system. So the five teams I have for you based on those criteria are Tampa Bay, Vegas, St. Louis, Colorado, probably Boston. You, you know, you hope Tuka Rask comes back next year, but overall I, I trust Boston. So Tampa, Vegas, St. Louis, Boston, Colorado. I hope that helps, but I'm really, I'm just throwing a Hail Mary here. Sorry, Dream. I will also point out that we do, I do have an article coming out today on the Hockey News about Boston Bruins goaltending situation. Dan Vladar played really good in his debut, and Jeremy Swayman's been like the best goalie prospect for the last, I don't know, 18 months, I want to say. He's been one of the best. He's been absolutely dom dominant. He's won every game in the AHL this year. So Boston Bruins, once Tuka Rask is gone, they're in good shape, and you'll read about a bit more later today. All right, Joel21 asks, Bo Horvat or Monaghan, who should I keep? Yeah, you know, a, a few years ago, I think the decision would, would have been pretty easy. Uh, you'd go Sean Monaghan. Both guys are, you know, they're, they're somewhat similar players in terms of their overall fantasy production. They're the same age, same draft class, uh, 2013. But uh, I think the landscape has changed. And and I, I think most people would say that Sean Monaghan is more of a natural offensive threat, natural goal scorer, whereas Bo Horvat's more of a two-way player. But in recent years, Horvat's starting to add more offense to his game. He's starting to score more goals. And I was looking at the numbers, and since the start of last season, Bo Horvat actually has more goals than Sean Monaghan. So Monaghan's not even giving you that offensive edge, uh, and Horvat's a better all-around player. To me, the decision is to go Horvat. His role in the lineup, the Canucks lineup, is secure, I think, for years to come as their number two center. And uh, it, also, the, the Canucks, they have a lot of interesting players that are eventually going to be joining the team on the wings. Some from Vasily Putkoles in. You have Hoglander on the team now as well. So I think that Horvat's line mates can improve over time as well. So to me, and where Sean Monaghan, Calgary, we don't know if he's going to be a fit for Daryl Sutter. And I also think, you know, Sean Monaghan has had some major surgeries. There was one season, I think it was the year before last, he had three surgeries at once 
at the end of the season. He was so banged up. There's been some speculation he's playing through something this year. So I think that Bor Horvat's his body is held up a little bit better. He's scoring more goals. He's in a better team situation long term. So I say Bor Horvat. All right. Christopher asks for the next three years or so, who do you like more, Nick Backstrom or Evgeny Malkin? I love this question. Yeah, it's funny because the easy answer, the quick answer, you'd think, well, Malkin, he's been a better fantasy player for his career. Last year, Malkin was absolutely dominant. Uh, he was, I think, he, he might have even been first in points per, per 60 at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, this year, before he got hurt last night, oh, he's on my team. Ugh. He got hurt last night, but he was really starting to turn things around. He was producing like his old self over the last month or so. Uh, so I think, you know, it's tempting to say Malkin's a better option. But Malkin, you know, gets hurt every year. His contract situation is not long-term anymore in Pittsburgh. He's getting near the end of his deal. He's a year older than Nick Backstrom. Backstrom is locked up long-term in Washington, and he's been more durable in his career except for one little blip for concussions. I think that was probably, you know, seven, eight years ago at this point. Uh, so you have more durable player, the younger player, the player under a long-term contract. And even just with the struggles of Evgeny Kuznetsov, you're seeing Backstrom get moved up the lineup in Washington a lot more and Ovechkin still you know he's going to resign I'm sure in, in Washington so suddenly I think Backstrom the situation for the next three years is better if the question was one year or two years I'd still go Malkin but three years I don't know how Evgeny Malkin's body is going to be three years from now I think he'll be 37 in three years uh he has not been the most durable player he usually in a good year he'll play 65 70 games so even though he might still be more productive on a per game basis the actual total volume numbers you get might be higher for Backstrom. So to my own surprise, my answer is Backstrom. All right. So one piece of non-fantasy hockey news that might be somewhat interesting. Vladislav Trechak has resigned from the WHF Council and Pavel Bure has taken over his spot. So wow. uh, that's uh, it's not fantasy hockey related at all unless you really want Pavel Bure in your hockey pool. But I don't think that's going to really win you anything. Uh, we're going to another Sabres question. And... Uh, Whew, I'm so sorry, guys. It's been a rough little bit for you guys. Sabres2339 asks, with the Sabres letting go Cougar, do you foresee this being a good time to invest in Taylor Hall or any other Sabres players? Not particularly. Uh, as I said before, the situation is really toxic in Buffalo. That said, I do think there's a certain context in which you can invest in a Sabres player. So what I would say is do not pay for a Sabres player. Do not surrender capital in a trade. But if you're in a league where someone dropped Rasmus Dahlin, someone dropped Taylor Hall, then I, I say, sure, pick them up, give them a little tryout for your team and see how they do. Because sometimes you do get a, new, a spark. That's been a common theme in NHL history where a coach brings in or a new coach kind of creates a new spark on the team. So sure, if it, if it costs nothing to pick up some discarded Sabres players to see how they do, I say go for it. The other reason to have some Sabres on your team, particularly Taylor Hall, is we can expect assuming he's okay after that nasty puck in the face last night, he did come back to the game. Um, you can expect Taylor Hall's going to be traded in the next several weeks, pending UFA. I don't know why he would want to return to Buffalo. So you got to think he's a goner. And if Taylor Hall gets traded to a contender and lands in the right situation, there's still potential that he goes off. He goes supernova. You know, if Taylor Hall gets traded to Colorado or Edmonton, if Taylor Hall gets traded to Edmonton, that's someone you want on your team. So I, if I have Taylor Hall, if you still have Taylor Hall at this point in your league, I wouldn't trade him. I wouldn't drop him. You may as well ride this out for another month just in case he gets traded because this situation could, could change drastically. And if he's available on the wire in your league, I would say pick him up. We, we did get one other question, but didn't include it. Basically, it's like, is, is Jeff Skinner worth investing in at this point? And it's like, I 
no, not really. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, Skinner's not that old. Uh, typically, his pattern in his career has been good season, bad season, good season, bad season. So it's weird to see him go bad, bad. That, that breaks his pattern. Uh, but maybe the new coach, the new the coaching change lights a spark. You never know. He's still talented enough. But same thing. I think at best you add him if he's on the wire. If your if your league is really deep, that's all I do. Otherwise, I'm not touching him. Especially in plus minus league, Sabres players are just they're killer. Like I, I had Jack Eichel before I traded him in my league, and I was dead last in my league in plus minus. He was just bleeding my plus minus every every night. Right. So you got to be careful with Sabres players right now. I refuse to play in a league of plus minus. I, I truly do that. And probably two, 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 two ones we, uh, I'm not interested in. Now, there's one more goalie question we got, and I think it's a good one, which is Philip Grubauer or Freddie Anderson? Grubauer has established himself as a number one this year. And of course, Anderson's had a bit of a rough go. But uh, at one point, you got to keep in mind Toronto was looking really good, where it didn't matter what goal you put in, they were able to win. And, and yeah, Lisa struggled a little bit in recent games, but it's not like they're they're falling apart completely. This is a guy that uh, is still putting a fight in and yeah, he needs to be better. He needs to make those big saves. That's something we talk about every playoffs. And now the fact that it's kind of, it continues to creep into his game where he has these slow uh, runs in the, in the regular season. It's concerning, but what are your thoughts? Because these two goalies that have the tendency to get really hot and then kind of fall off a cliff at the same time. Yeah. You know, right now I actually don't think it's a hard decision. And I assume the question first to redraft league. So, you know, not keeper format, um, but either I think my answer would actually be the same for both. To me, it's Philip Grubauer for sure. Uh, obviously, he's playing, you know, possibly the best hockey of his life or his, his NHL career. He's, he's having a really strong season, uh, and for me, Grubauer, you know, his his career save percentage was higher than nine twenty. It was right up there with the top save percentages of all time going into this year. So the, the talent is never a problem with Grubauer. It's the durability. So. Grubauer, the risk of having him is not that he's not going to play well for the most part. It's usually that he's going to get hurt. So that's still always a risk. You have to consider handcuffing him with Pavel Fransos or, or I know Hunter Misk has gotten a look too, right? Um, but I, I think with Freddie Anderson, the problem is there's not even a guarantee that he's going to be the least starter in a month. If he does not get out of this funk, it's possible that Kyle Dubas says, I need to take my shot. We know he's been speaking to the media about how aggressive he's going to be. He's willing to move prospects. The Leafs understand they have a tremendous opportunity this year. And I think they will leave no stone unturned to upgrade their roster. We know it's going to be probably a top six forward, maybe a defenseman. And I think you can't rule out the Leafs pursuing a goalie as well. I mentioned on our main podcast, Darcy Kemper being an interesting option because he's hurt right now, but you would have to quarantine for two weeks anyway. So just based on the fact that Anderson could get nudged out as the Leafs starter, that alone makes Grubauer the pick. Yes, he could get hurt, but he's healthy right now. So I think Anderson is actually the riskier goalie to own than Grubauer. All right, we have one other person asked, uh, Jeffrey Fuller asked, has there been any updates on Eichel's injury? We did talk about Eichel before, and uh, last I checked, no no update. We're still no. going to be a while. Yeah, it's, it's longer term, and it, it might be one of those things where we find out at the end of the year what it is. Maybe he never comes back. Maybe he comes back after the trade deadline. It could be a matter of they're not going to bring him back to the lineup until the trade deadline passes because maybe they're getting offers for Eichel. But either way, it's A, murky because just the nature of the NHL, the way they disclose injury information, we're not allowed to find out unless a team chooses to disclose it. So I don't think we're going to know for a while. Uh, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be relatively soon. Uh, again, I'm, I'm no doctor. I'm only just guessing based on experience, what I've heard. Um, it sounds like it's still, I think, at least a couple more weeks. If he's back within a week, I'd be pretty surprised. If he's back in the month of March, so today's March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, top of the morning to you. I'm Irish. Um, but if he's back, I don't know why I said that. If he's back uh, 
before April, to me, that'll be a surprise. That'll be a win. All right. So that's it for the question. Let's do one of my favorite segments, the starting lineup. And uh, this is whoop, getting a bunch of things all over the place. Uh, so it's going to be talking about your favorite sp uh, sports books, but I got a question here for you. Are, are, are you specifically not including biographies? No, I'm including biographies. I have oh. a biography in there. I have a couple biographies in there. Um, and this list, so my starting lineup this week, it's, it's greatest sports books, but I'm not saying these are the definitive best sports books ever. I'm saying these are the best sports books I have ever read. So if you have better ones, please tweet me and, and recommend some more to me because I know I have not read all the best sports books. But the ones I have read, this is my top six, my starting lineup. One is ball four. A lot of people consider it the greatest sports book of all time. It really is awesome. I only read it within the last year for the first time. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I just think it's it's the definitive just sort of blow-for-blow blow, uh, journey through a Major League Baseball season. And the coolest thing about it is the knuckleballer Jim Booten, he, he was almost like a man out of time. It was like he was from the future. His opinions on the game were so modern. And he was experiencing it in the '60s, but he was like, it was like you took a guy from the '90s and dropped him into the into the era. So his takes on old school baseball logic are really funny, really, really insightful. That's one. Uh, Stephen, you mentioned biographies, so well, Ball Four is biography, but um, Open, which is Andre Agassi's autobiography, I think it's the best autobiography I've ever read. I'm not even a huge tennis person, but it's so exhaustive and it goes into just the detail of the obsession, almost sort of abusive uh, tennis education he got growing up and how he grew to almost hate the game that he loved. He was so, it's like being so good at something, but you almost resent it because he was, you know, he had like tennis rackets taped to his arms when he was a, a toddler, things like that. Right. Um, so a very uh, just engrossing read, sometimes upsetting, but just a really fascinating look at it, at, at sort of what you have to sacrifice to become uh, a, a famous athlete, a star. The game is the other one. The game is sort of the hockey equivalent of ball four. It's written by Ken Dryden. It's sort of chronicling, uh, a season during the Habs dynasty. It's probably the best blow-for-blow blow account of an NHL team ever written. So that's a great one, too. I'm getting an Adobe Flash update here. Get out of here, update, while I'm talking. Okay, there it goes. Adobe Flash? Flash. Can, still, can you still hear me? I can, but Adobe yeah. Flash? My Adobe Flash popped up, and I couldn't see what I was doing here. So the game, Ken Dryden, one of the definitive, definitive hockey books. Moneyball by Michael Lewis. Moneyball is a book that I think some of the shine has worn off it because – you know, technically the Oakland A's didn't win the World Series with Moneyball. And, you know, some people say the shift to on-base percentage-based baseball has made the game more boring because you have the three true outcomes, a lot of walks and strikeouts and homers. But either way, I still think at the time it was a supernova. It was a really fascinating look at how the game was redefined. And just it sort of ushered in analytics into the mainstream, I think, in all of sports. So I think it's a quintessential sports read, one of the best of all time. A Good Walk Spoiled, which is, and again, so you can see the theme here. I love books that sort of take you inside. It's almost like a book equivalent of what you got when you watched the Last Dance documentary. So taking you through a season and learning everything that happens in a season. A Good Walk Spoiled came out in the 90s, I believe. It was a PGA Tour book, kind of guiding you through what it was like. And it was sort of the end of the pre-Tiger era. So the golf PGA landscape was a different game. I don't remember it very well. It's been so long since I read it, but I remember thinking it was really fascinating. And the last one, uh, I read it more recently. I don't think it's going to be known as, a, as an all-time great sports book, but I really enjoyed it, which is Doc. It's the Roy Halladay uh, biography, and it really just sort of takes you inside how, on the surface, he was known as this, you know, just so consistent and, and 
steely nerve person, but in order to be that person on the mound, his life underneath was very obsessive and he had to sacrifice a lot. And I learned a lot about pitching reading it. As a baseball nerd, I think it was really cool. So that is the starting lineup for this week. Please send me more suggestions and make them as weird out there as possible because I like talking about weird out there stuff. And that concludes the fantasy podcast for this week. I'll be back in a couple weeks. Good luck at your fantasy trade deadline if it happens between now and then. And I'll see you later. Thank you for listening to the Hockey News Fantasy Podcast with Matt Larkin. Make sure to send questions into Matt at THN Matt Larkin on Twitter and visit THN.com slash subscribe to have issues of the Hockey News Magazine delivered right to your mailbox.